0: Well, i got to say something right off the bat. Um, I'm going to put my Bible down here. That doesn't mean I'm not going to use the Bible. It's, uh, I just don't want to knock stuff over. So if you're like, why is the guy preaching going to put his Bible on the ground? It's just because I'll knock something off. Uh, but thank you, uh, John. And uh, I was awesome worship. I actually thought I was, and you may hear it, I'm starting to lose my voice which is really bad timing, but I was just like singing so loud because I got the speakers right there for one. But uh, thanks, Josh, for leading wherever you are. It's interesting. I was telling um, Pastor John that probably a week or so ago that Pastor Trevor uh, from Calgary sent me a text, and uh, he had been going through some old files and came across my worship team application from like 11 years ago. And there was a section on it that uh, you're supposed to fill in the names and ages of your kids, and I just put down not applicable. Not applicable. And now today, uh, I've got four kids. Uh, my oldest is Jacob. He's, uh, he turns nine in March. And then we've got uh, Isaac. He just turned six in January. And Aria and Ella turned two at the end of March. Uh, they're all here today. I think uh, the girls are probably down in the nursery uh, right now. But it's just cool. Actually, you know what? Come to think of it, where is Josh? I would have handed Josh my application, and you would have been not applicable for kids at that time, 11 years ago as well. And the reason I bring that up is it's just so cool uh, to look back at what God's done over the past 10, 11 years. And that's not just referring to the blessing of having kids, but to just see how God has continued to raise up men and women for his glory. This church wasn't here 11 years ago. I don't know. How long is it now? Seven years. And so it's just cool. Every time I talk to Josh or connect with John or read your newsletter, I'm just reminded uh, of what God is doing in this city. And so it is a privilege. It is really cool uh, to be able to uh, bring the word of God today. So let's jump in. Uh, If you're not already there, we're going to Matthew chapter 11. That's Matthew chapter 11. And I've titled the sermon today, More Than a Prophet. And I'm going to give the end away. Everything we just sang about is the message today. And our goal is primarily to walk away worshiping Christ as king. So I'm kind of giving it away, um, but that's where we're going today. Uh, We're actually going to be focusing on verses 7 through 15 of Matthew uh, 11. And before we actually jump in, we have to go back to verse 1 because we need to understand what's happening. We're jumping right into the middle of a book, and so we need a little bit of context. And so if you were to actually flip back and look at what's happening in chapter 10, Jesus has called his 12 disciples. He's sending them out as apostles, and he's given them authority over um, unclean spirits. Uh, He's given them authority to heal every disease and affliction and then he walks through this message that they're called to proclaim, which is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he says, that's going to be extremely divisive, and you are going to be persecuted, and you need to fear God and not man, and there is a reward if you do that. And that's when we come to uh, Matthew chapter 11. So if you look at verse 1, it says, Jesus had, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, He went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Verse 2. Now when John, and we're talking about John the Baptist today, when John the Baptist heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, said to Jesus, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, let's just stop for a second and just categorize what we know. So we know that Jesus has sent out his disciples, and we know that John is in prison, and John is coming then to Jesus, and he's asking if Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah or the king that God had promised. He's, is he the one who Isaiah spoke of in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7? This will be a familiar passage. I'm just, just going to read it. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And John the Baptist is coming to Jesus and he's saying, is that you? Is that you who Isaiah spoke of? Are you the promised Messiah? Are you the king? Or should we look for another? And Jesus doesn't answer directly. He instead points John and points his disciples to the deeds he's done, to the message he brings, and says, compare it with what's been written about the Messiah. He doesn't say, yes, I am the Christ, like he said to the Samaritan woman. He kind of says, well, yes, I am the Christ, but not because I proclaim it. Anyone could say they are the Christ, but look at what I'm doing. Look at what I am saying. Scripture validates I am the Christ. But we have a really big problem here, and maybe you've picked up on it, um, if not, I'm just going to explain it to you. This is a really, really huge problem. John the Baptist isn't supposed to be asking that question. Like, do, do you know, do you remember John the Baptist? He's one of the most, um, one of the, the most intriguing people we meet in the scriptures. And uh, if you haven't heard of him before, I'm going to give a quick breakdown of uh, John the Baptist. For, every, for everyone else, it'll be a really good reminder. So John the Baptist is the miracle baby who was born to Zachariah and Elizabeth when they were too old to have kids and Elizabeth was barren? That's John the Baptist. When he was born, his father, Zachariah, said or prophesied and said of John, You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. He's the man who was clothed in camel's hair. He had a leather belt, he ate locusts and wild honey. Uh, that's what I remember from Sunday school. Uh, Mark chapter 1 says that John was the man, uh, he came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And it says that all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. And if we read in the Gospel of John, John the Baptist is the man who saw Jesus And do you know what he said? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he baptizes Jesus. And he witnesses the Holy Spirit descend like a dove onto Jesus and remain on him. And then this is what he says. He says this after. This is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. That's John the Baptist And fast forward to where we're at in Matthew chapter 11. John is now in prison. He's called out Herod in his sin, and he's in prison. And he's heard what Jesus is doing, and he sends out his disciples to do what? To double check? This is a big problem. Has John lost his faith? And if so, can the message that he preached actually still be trusted? I mean, if John isn't so sure anymore, then maybe he was wrong, and we've all been fooled. This is a problem. Maybe he, he isn't the guy we thought he was. Maybe he's just after money or fame, or maybe he's after uh, popularity. And if John the Baptist is wrong, then who is this guy, Jesus? And we have to understand that uh, there was this idea that the Messiah was going to come and be a political leader, be a, uh, a great warrior, that he was going to free the Jews from the oppression of Rome. And this guy, John, who claims Jesus is the Son of God, is now in prison, maybe unexpected. And Jesus isn't exactly running for office. He isn't building an army. The judgment of God hasn't fallen on Rome. And so you can imagine John might be concerned. And you can imagine then that the crowd would be concerned. And so well, what does, what does Jesus do? And we already saw how he responds to the disciples. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't rebuke John. He actually strengthens his faith by validating you were right you've successfully completed your mission, which is the same mission that we're called to complete uh, as as we're gonna dive into the passage today. And then Jesus here, he turns to the crowd and he's gonna help them understand exactly who John the Baptist really is. And he does it by drawing the crowd's attention to John the Baptist's character and then his mission and then his message. And as we look at verses seven to 15 today, that's our core passage. We're gonna see a character that we ought to imitate As followers of Christ, we're going to see a mission that we have been called to fulfill. And then we're going to step back 30,000 feet and we're going to see a message, an urgent warning that cannot be missed. So let's ask God to uh, help us with that this morning. Heavenly Father, um, I'm reminded uh, of my sin, uh, even just singing your praise this morning. So I just ask that you'd have mercy on me. I do not deserve the privilege that you're giving me right now to proclaim you as king. And uh, I ask that it wouldn't be my words, that it'd be yours, and that you'd use it, Holy Spirit, that you'd be active, that you'd illuminate the scripture so we can understand it, and that we might walk out of here praising you more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so first we're going to look at verses 7 and 8 for our first point, and we are going to see a character to imitate, a character to imitate. Verse 7, as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. And so Jesus here, he, he asks the, the crowd to examine the evidence that's actually before them. He says, John preached in the wilderness and you went out to listen to him. Why? Were you going to see a reed shaken by the wind? And that might sound like an odd question, and it is an odd question. First of all, reeds typically grow in water, not in the wilderness, so the obvious answer would be no. Uh, but there's more to it than this. I mean, you can probably picture in your mind a reed. I don't know that I need to go into science here, and I wouldn't be the greatest at it anyway. But you can imagine wind blowing. A reed is not very sturdy. It's going to go wherever the wind blows. And so what Jesus is doing is he's, uh, he's remarking on John's character. John was not like this. John had uncompromising faith, and his uncompromising faith resulted in an upright, uncompromising character. What Jesus is asking is for the crowd to examine the content of John's character for themselves. He says, what did you go out to see? Someone who was just following the trends? Someone who was doing whatever was popular? Someone who would say something for applause, and then if he was challenged, he would switch direction so he could please that group? Is that what you saw? Is that why you went out into the wilderness? No. John's faith was uncompromising. What do I mean by that? I mean he believed God and was solely focused on that message in in faith that that was the right thing to do. He was not focused on pleasing man. He was not afraid of man. He feared God and focused on pleasing God. And so what did he do? He preached the same message over and over again. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the reason that he is actually in jail right now is because it didn't matter who walked in front of him. You repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hey, King Herod, you're in sin. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His faith was uncompromising, his focus didn't change. And so for us today, just immediately, we got to ask ourselves is that how Jesus would describe me? Like, is, is my faith uncompromising? Are you easily swayed? Does your tune or your worship fluctuate depending on which way the wind blows? And if you feel conviction, uh, like I do, uh, even right now, um, let me ask you ask the, or answer the question of, okay, well, like, what do we do about it? Or, or how do we develop that kind of uncompromising faith? And I, I want to direct your attention to Ephesians chapter 4. Um, I've got a lot of different references. You're welcome to try and keep up. Um, but I'm just gonna keep going. So Ephesians 4, we're looking at verses eleven to fourteen. And it says, And Jesus gave, or and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints, that's all of us, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. Remember that for later so that we may not so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness in deceitful schemes that's Ephesians 4:11 4, to 14 and this is why you're here today This is why we gather on Sundays. This is why we participate in small groups. This is why we use our gifts to serve the body of Christ, so that we can build up one another, so we can develop that uncompromising faith, so we wouldn't be tossed to and fro. We need this. If you want an uncompromising faith like John the Baptist had, you need the body. It's how it's been designed. John's faith was uncompromising. And as followers of Jesus Christ, the way we develop his character is by participating in his design for the body of Christ. Next, let's look at verse 8, and we're going to see another element of John's character. We're going to see his devotion to the Lord. Devotion to the Lord. Verse 8, what then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Now, aside from the odd, like, I don't know, tied commercial, we don't typically associate uh, the softness of your clothing with, um, with being rich or, or a life of luxury. Uh, but at this time in the, in the first century, most clothes were made out of wool, and the wealthy, which would include royalty and would include uh, priests, for instance, uh, would wear linen. The clothing was softer. And so what Jesus is, is doing is quite obvious. He's pointing out the contrast between John the Baptist, who wore camel's hair, and a life of luxury, the clothing of luxury. And the point is, John was clearly not pursuing that lifestyle. You can tell because the result is camel's hair versus the life of luxury, referenced by soft clothing. And so Jesus says, if you're going to see then the rich and the famous, you don't go to the wilderness, you go to the palace. You can find priests there, you can find important men there. You, you can find people who are consumed with getting ahead, consumed with status, working for a life of luxury, but that's not why you went into the wilderness. You didn't go to see a rich man. You went to see a man whose entire life was an example of self-denial. He, he was completely set apart and he was devoted to serving the Lord. You see, John had taken a Nazarite vow and that essentially meant his entire life, his entire lifestyle was devoted to God. It was set apart, it was consecrated for God And God alone. And so John lives a life that completely rejects the way of this world. And his sole focus was then on proclaiming the king's message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, so repent. And that message didn't get him into the king's houses; It got him into prison. And now the application for us is not go take as right vow. You don't need to abandon your family, uh, move out into the Alberta wilderness in order to please God and completely cut yourself off. Um, It's not that cold right now, but um, I would not survive. I'm not, so they'd just be unwise. So that's not what we're looking to see. What we're looking to see is a man who has gone all in. We're looking to see a man who is sold out for the good news, and he's completely dependent on God for the two primary things, all of his needs and the satisfaction of all of his desires, completely dependent. And so, again, the question for us is, what about us in 2022? Are you marked by others as someone who is devoted to the Lord? Are you someone who is sold out for the good news? Are you someone who is dependent on God for your needs and for the satisfaction of your desires? Romans 12, 1 to 2 says, this is Paul speaking. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, set apart, and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, your true, your authentic worship. So do not be conformed to this world, it says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So how would Jesus describe your lifestyle? Are you you conformed to the world or are you devoted to him? There's some questions we can ask ourselves. The first would be, how do you spend your time? The next would be how and where do you spend your money? What are your affections? Where do you go to satisfy your desires? How's your prayer life? And what message does your life proclaim? Those are questions we should ask ourselves. Am I conformed to this world or am I devoted to the Lord? And so Jesus says to the crowd, what did you go out to see? A reed shaken by the wind, a man in soft clothes, Is John the Baptist a man who has lost his faith? Is he a man you can't trust? Is he wishy-washy who just changes what he says based on whichever way the wind blows? Is he just after fame and fortune and status? No. Think about his character. Think about his lifestyle. This is a man of uncompromising faith and a man who is completely devoted to the Lord. So then... Why did the crowds go out to see John the Baptist? And we're gonna find the answer to that in verses nine through 11, where Jesus turns his attention from the character of John the Baptist to the mission of John the Baptist, which is a mission that we're actually called to fulfill. Spoiler. A mission to fulfill. Verse nine. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So Jesus has already established who the crowd didn't go out to see. So now the question is, all right, so who did you go out to see? And uh, you have to understand, at this time, it would have been 400 years since the last Formal word from the Lord. And that would have been in the book of Malachi. And so you can imagine that at this time, there would have been great anticipation to hear from God, and some would have actually been actively looking for the Messiah. And we can understand this. I mean, if you think about it, there's a lot of stuff that happened surrounding Jesus' birth. And we don't know how the stories spread, but you've got some shepherds who said they saw angels, you've got these wise men that followed a star. King Herod massacred boys under three years old because he was worried about a coming king. And even beyond that, the continued oppression of Rome would have had the Jewish people looking, where can I hear from God? It's been 400 years. And so why did they go out into the wilderness? Because maybe, just maybe, they might see a prophet in John the Baptist and they might actually hear from God. And Jesus says, you're right. And there's more to it because John just, isn't just a prophet. He's actually more than a prophet. John's been called to proclaim Jesus as king. Proclaim Jesus as king. Verse 10, this is he, this is John the Baptist, this is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Now John there is actually quoting Malachi 3 verse 1. And he's attributing, clearly, John to be that messenger. And in the same breath, he's actually claiming to be God himself. This is fascinating. Now, you can turn to Malachi 3.1 if you'd like. Uh, it's just so neat to see how he does this. So he obviously directly states that John the Baptist is the prophesied uh, messenger. But if you look at Malachi 3.1, Jesus has altered the quote. So in Malachi three verse one, it's God speaking. And God says, behold, I send my messenger and he, John the Baptist in reference, will prepare the way before me. So who's coming? God is coming. Now in Matthew 11.10, it's actually inferred that this conversation is more happening within the, tr- the Trinity. So God the Father speaking to and with God the Son. And so you, now it's reading, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare whose way? Your way, Jesus, before you. I send my messenger who will prepare your way before you. Jesus just personalized Malachi 3, verse 1. And by doing so, he infers his divinity, which actually adds authority to his claim that John the Baptist is in fact the prophesied messenger, but more importantly, Jesus is that Messiah. Jesus is the one who comes, which means Jesus is God who comes. He is the Christ, He is the promised King. So was John a prophet? Yes, and more than a prophet. He's the messenger called to prepare the way for Jesus Christ as the coming king. And Jesus keeps going into verse 11. He says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is a arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Now, really quickly, this, this phrase here uh, is actually interesting because you may have seen uh, born of women, uh, or born of women, women, um, and obviously Jesus was born, and while he is fully God, he's also fully man. So how, how can Jesus say that John is the greatest ever to be born without actually discrediting himself? And so it's all in the way he says it. So for starters, the phrase born of women um, is it's a common phrase that just meant human. Uh, but more than that, the term women culturally implied a uh, married woman or at a minimum, someone who is like, not a virgin, <laughs> And so Jesus was born of a virgin, a young woman who's not yet a woman. And all this does is this just speaks to the wisdom of of Jesus and how intentional he was with his words. He was able to make an emphatic point about John the Baptist without distracting the crowd by having to explain his own superior greatness. And so the point is that of everyone born of a woman, every man, he... Not Abraham, not Moses. I'm looking for my list there. Not Abraham, not Moses, not King David, not Elijah, not Elisha, not Samuel, not Isaiah. None of those men were greater. Like that's, that's the point that we see here. John the Baptist is at a level that no one has surpassed at this point. And so Jesus then is setting this bar of true greatness. It's not wealth, it's not fame, it's not popularity, greatness is a man sitting in prison right now. And so we have to ask, well, what actually makes John the Baptist great? And I mean, we can think about it. Uncompromising faith, devoted to the Lord, and a prophet who not, not only prophesied the coming Messiah, but a prophet who saw the Spirit of God descend on the Messiah. A prophet whose mission wasn't just to declare there is a King coming But a man whose mission was to declare the king is here, that's him and his name is Jesus. And so we see that the measure or the marker of greatness then is in proximity or in in proclaiming the king is here. It's all about being close to Christ and being the highest ranking messenger to the king himself. And that's actually what makes the next part of the verse so incredible in verse 11. The message that we're actually going to see is that your mission today, my mission today, is also to be of highest service to the king and proclaim Jesus Christ as king and more. Which means that you and I are called to true greatness. And we can attain true greatness. So the first part of verse 11, you see no one is greater than John the Baptist. And then the second part, it says yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What's that mean? Well, let's simplify it. If you can get into the kingdom of heaven, you will be greater than John the Baptist. You will attain true greatness. In fact, you're actually gonna surpass the mark that was just set by John the Baptist. And so how is that possible? And we we gotta do a little bit of homework here. Uh, First, we need to understand what is the kingdom of heaven. And then we need to understand how being in the kingdom of heaven is at least on the same level as John the Baptist, and then we need to understand how being in the kingdom of heaven is actually surpassing that level. So first, let's consider the kingdom of heaven. Uh, consider the kingdom of heaven. One of my favorite verses about the kingdom of heaven is in Daniel 2, 44. This is where Daniel interprets King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and he says this, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to other people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. So that's the, that's the kingdom. Where is it? Have you seen the kingdom? Well, it's, it's a, both a present spiritual reality today, and it is a future physical reality So it's present spiritually in that, well, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. We see that in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And it's also a present spiritual reality because God, as the creator of all things, is always ruler supreme. So it is a present present spiritual reality. And you can see this in Matthew 6 when Jesus prays. He says, our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what we see here is the kingdom comes when the Father, when God is properly hallowed and worshiped and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. So specifically what we see here is that if Christ is king... Then to be in the kingdom of heaven is to worship him as king and to obey him as king, to serve under his rule and reign so that whatever is done in heaven may also be done on earth, which means the kingdom of heaven is a present spiritual reality. And it's also a future reality. There are plenty of passages uh, in scripture that speak to the kingdom of heaven being, or the kingdom of God, it's uh, interchangeable, being an inheritance Um, And we read uh, of that day in Revelation 21, 1 to 4. I'm going to read it because any chance you have to read this passage, you read it. Revelation 21, 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be, them, be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. The kingdom of heaven is a spiritual reality and it is a physical reality. Christ is the king today presently reigning as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and to be in his kingdom today is to walk in obedience under his rule and reign and to worship him as King Jesus. How do you get in? Glad you asked. Romans 10.9, I'm going to come back to this a little bit later, but Romans 10.9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, King, Ruler, reigning, And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how you get into the kingdom of heaven. There's going to be a day, an awesome day, um, where Christ establishes his kingdom uh, here on on earth, which is, um, can't wait. So what is the kingdom of heaven? It's to live under the rule and reign of Christ as king. Now, let's look at how being in the kingdom is at least on the same level of the greatness of John the Baptist. And so to do this, we next must consider the mission. Consider the mission. So why was John the Baptist great? We've already talked about this, because of his mission. He was more than a prophet. He had the highest call of service to the king, which was to proclaim far and wide, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, Christ the king is here, and his name is Jesus. And so when we then enter into the kingdom of heaven, let's look at this, what are we called to do? Same thing, 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And how about Matthew 28, 18 to 20? I already referenced this. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Who? Given to King Jesus Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I, King Jesus, have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of this age. So when you enter the kingdom of heaven, you step under the reign and rule of Christ as King, and you are called then to the highest level of service. You are called to proclaim Jesus the Christ, Jesus Christ King. That means in your home, proclaim Christ the King. That means in your workplace, proclaim Christ as King. In your community, in your school, in the church, we proclaim Christ is King. But Jesus didn't say, if you get into the kingdom, you'll be just as great as John the Baptist. He said, whoever is in the kingdom, the least in the kingdom is greater. How's that possible? Well... Now let's consider the cross. Consider the cross. First of all, John did not live to see Christ crucified. He didn't live to see him raised from the dead, and so he didn't participate then in the day of Pentecost uh, when the Holy Spirit uh, came down uh, to indwell believers. Um, John was great, but he was on the other side of the cross, and we need to see that. John was more than a prophet, but he lived during a time when the New Testament hadn't been written. Today, we have... I'll reach down to grab my Bible. We have, in, I'm holding it. You're probably holding it as well, or at least on, on your phone. We have the full story. We have the law, the prophets. We have eyewitness testimony of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We have the apostles' teaching. But even that is actually not why we surpass the greatness of John the Baptist. Do you remember John's character? Pretty high bar there. Uncompromising faith and a life lived in devotion to Christ, a devotion to the Lord. So how could you possibly one-up that? How do you get greater than someone who had uncompromising faith and lived a life completely devoted to the Lord? And the answer is, you can't. Sorry. Uh, Good news, though. You can through Jesus. Jesus can. You can't. Galatians 2.20. This is wonderful. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live who can't achieve that level of devotion to the Lord. It is no longer I who live who, who can't actually properly obtain an upright character. It is no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. How about Romans eight twenty nine? And this is, this is really the key to all of this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined To be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Do you want to know what the like ultimate, ultimate standard of true greatness is? We saw the standard of John the Baptist. You wanna know the ultimate, the highest standard of true greatness, immeasurable greatness. The standard is Christ, the King. And John's call and his mission actually put him closer than anyone who had ever been born. But even John needed Jesus to die on the cross so that he too could enter the kingdom of heaven. But when you and I enter the kingdom of heaven, we are called then to proclaim Christ as king, just like John the Baptist did, and you will be indwelled with the Holy Spirit And you will be conformed into the image of his son, where it's the Holy Spirit who gives you that uncompromising faith, and it's Christ's righteousness, his goodness, his perfect character that is attributed to you when God looks at you. And so we just need to stop here and not miss what a privilege this is, what an honor this is to be invited into the kingdom of God. So listen to this. You were dead In your trespasses, your throat was an open grave. That means nothing good could come out of you. You were a slave to sin, incapable of pleasing the Lord. And God looked down at you and this rebellious creation and put perfect love on display without compromising his perfect justice. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life and then die on the cross, take the punishment you deserve rose from the grave and gives you peace and reconciliation with God, gives you his righteousness and all the blessings that come with being called a child of God. And I, I, don't, I don't know your heart, um, obviously, but I know the curses of sin and death are evident everywhere that we turn. My grandfather died last Sunday. Uh, that's, that's a curse of sin. That's a curse of death. Um, and all the family stuff that's just surrounding that Uh, And even in my heart, the response to that is just like, I want to be angry. Like I just, it's so easy to see how sin creeps up. And so I don't know where you go to search for rest. I don't know where you go to search for greatness or success to try and overcome obstacles or where you look for peace or where you look to find joy. But if it's not Christ, it won't satisfy and it will not break that curse of sin and death that we just see everywhere. So have you considered the cross? Have you accepted your mission? The application is imperative. Worship the king. Walk joyfully in obedience under his reign and rule because with the Holy Spirit, you actually can. And then you get to proclaim Jesus Christ as the risen savior who takes away your sin and you get to say the king is here. And that right there is true greatness beyond what John was able to do. John had a character that we ought to imitate And he had a mission to fulfill, and it's only possible for us to do the same and beyond through the Holy Spirit. But it's the same mission we're called to fulfill, and we are invited today into the kingdom of heaven. But this passage also, uh, Jesus is going to direct the crowd's attention. John gives us a very important warning to heed. A warning to heed, and, and we'll look at verse 12 here. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force for all the prophets and the law prophesied prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, there's been actually a lot of, um, I didn't realize this when I started studying this passage. There's a lot of different interpretations on what exactly that phrase, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. A lot of people with differing opinions. The good news is, Everyone that I read, at least, is actually biblical. Um, they're actually true. And I, I'm just, I don't have time to walk through all of them or get into all the deepness of the grammar. Uh, but what I will do is I'll share the top two uh, that I saw, and I'll tell you where I land and why. Uh, and then we'll, we'll proceed into the passage. So the first interpretation is that as the kingdom of heaven advances— that the image or the expectation of what the kingdom of heaven is is actually getting ripped apart and dismantled. So the idea of the kingdom being established as like a superpower for the Jewish elite, it's getting ripped apart violently since John the Baptist came on the scene. And beyond that, the people who just didn't belong in the kingdom, so these are the tax collectors, the prostitutes uh, that John was preaching to, these sinners, these violent men were getting into the kingdom. So essentially, the interpretation is that since John the Baptist came on the scene, everything people thought they knew about the kingdom was being flipped upside down. That is true. The second interpretation, I'll share, is that the kingdom of God is suffering violence or persecution. And those who are in the kingdom have actually started to suffer violence as they proclaim the message, the kingdom of heaven is here, and there are actual violent men fighting against the kingdom. And... Um, I'll be honest, up until a couple days ago, I was totally on board with number one, Uh, and I'm not now. Uh, It's true, but it's actually the second interpretation, changed everything, um, that I think in the context makes the most sense. So if we consider again Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends out his disciples with a warning of what? Persecution because of the message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when we consider in Matthew chapter 11, the primary focus, the reference point, is John the Baptist, who is where? In prison. Why? Because of the message, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. That message was rejected. And even as we'll, we'll look quickly, we don't have time to read the whole thing, but we'll look quickly at what happens after verse 15. But there's this understanding that that message is going to continue to get rejected over and over and over again. And so because of that, the best interpretation is probably to say that the kingdom of heaven is now being persecuted as a result of the message that John's disciples were called to preach and John the Baptist was called to preach. Because you say that there's a new king, you're going to have problems. So let's look at the final section of our passage, and we're going to see two warnings. We're going to see a warning for believers, and we're going to see a warning for unbelievers. Uh, Look at verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence or persecution, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Now, real quick here, verse 13, what he's saying is that John, or is the, sorry, that Jesus is the focal point of all the law and of the prophets. So the law of Moses, uh, the Pentateuch, all the prophets uh, pointed to the coming Messiah. And when John comes, things change because the Messiah is here. Everything points to Christ. The king is now here. Uh, so that's, that's verse 13. Uh, but then we go to verse 14. And it says, and if you are willing to accept it, Isaiah, or I, uh, Isaiah, Elijah, who is to come, he, John the Baptist, is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So, the first warning that we see this is a warning for believers, and here's, here's the warning You're called to suffer. Great news for a Sunday morning. This is the same warning that Jesus gives his disciples in chapter 10, and this is the same warning for those who believe John's message in chapter 11. The message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is going to be rejected. You've been warned. The greatest news in the world, the king is actually here, is gonna bring about suffering. It's the reason John the Baptist is in prison. So the warning then is to count the cost, be sober-minded, and put on the whole armor of God because the kingdom of heaven has suffered violently and the violent take it by force. This is war. So I was talking to uh, my oldest son, Jacob, and uh, I don't know what they're studying at school. I should probably pay more attention. But he asked, what is the main religion of Canada? And I was like, I don't know. I mean, there's so many different religions that are in Canada. Um, so I, I was a smart aleck, and I said, it's us. And I think this is true. As a culture, we worship ourselves. It doesn't matter what religion you claim to be. You are worshiping yourself. We worship ourselves. And the reality is, when we proclaim, repent, For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We are saying, stop serving yourself as king. You're not king. The true king is here. Turn from your worship of false idols and bow down to Jesus Christ. And think about it. That's extremely offensive. And so the application then is not, okay, let's just not share that message. Uh, That would not be the application. The application is to wake up and get off the sidelines Ephesians 6, 10 and 11, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Violence is coming. This is a warning to be ready for battle because Christ, his kingdom, is here. But don't worry, he's victorious. Now, what a great encouragement we see in Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs Is the kingdom of heaven. But there's another warning to heed. This is the warning to unbelievers. You're called to repent. This is also a warning to believers. Uh, John also says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance doesn't stop if you're a believer. But this, this warning here is to unbelievers. You're called to repent. It says, verse 14, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So, uh, please turn to Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Malachi 4, 5 and 6. Not 4, 5 and 6. 4, verse 5 and 6. These are the closing verses to the prophecy of Malachi. Again, the last formal word that the Jewish people had heard from God in 400 years. It says this. Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet... Before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And Jesus says, if you're willing to accept it, John is that Elijah who is to come. And so you might be thinking, just to address this, or everything, okay, was John the Baptist actually Elijah, like reincarnated? Uh, if you remember, Elijah was taken up. He didn't die. So is, is this actually Elijah? And the Bible says that John came in the spirit and power of Elijah, and John actually denied being reincarnated as Elijah. And we don't have time to study that, but if you want to go on a wonderful bunny trail this afternoon, uh, study this passage in light of Elijah and read all about it. It's uh, fascinating stuff from uh, even looking at Revelation, but we just don't have time um, the point here is Elijah comes before Christ the king. And so Elijah comes before the great and awesome day of the Lord. That's what we see in this passage. That sounds good. Elijah comes before the great and awesome day of the Lord. So what is the day of the Lord? All right. Amos five eighteen says this, of the day of the Lord. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord it is darkness and not light. Isaiah 13, 6 says, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near, as destruction from the Almighty it will come. And first Peter 3:10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, when you least expect it. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. What is the great and awesome day of the Lord? It's the day when time runs out, when the call to repent and enter the kingdom of heaven expires. And there is a day that comes after that, which will be the best day that has ever happened. But the day that Elijah precedes is a day of judgment for those who have rejected his call. And so when we consider this message from Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, I mean, like we know what happens, right? Did they accept John's message? No. Did they accept him as Elijah? No. Did they accept Jesus? No. Which means the great and awesome day of the Lord is coming, but not yet. So what, what does this mean? Well, Christ still had work to do on the cross. Um, and in fact, if you look at the rest of chapter 11, um, the, the passage goes on. Jesus goes on to talk about how the crowd would just continue to make up excuses and not listen to John or Jesus. They're like children. It doesn't matter how the message comes. They're just stubborn. They want their own way. And they refuse to accept the call. And so the good news is, although there's a warning, there's still time to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But make no mistake, we're not promised tomorrow. And God's mercy is put on full display every single day that passes before that great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So if you are willing to accept it, the same message that Jesus gives the crowd, if you are willing to accept it, the warning of Elijah is here in front of you today repent, turn from your sin, enter into the reign and rule of Jesus Christ as king because the kingdom of heaven is at hand and you've been invited to attain true greatness and there's no time to waste because the day of the Lord is coming soon. I referenced this earlier and I'm gonna read it again in closing. This is Romans ten nine. nine. Uh, it says, uh, the first part says, because if you confess with your mouth That Jesus is Lord. So if you worship him as king, if you live under the king's reign and rule, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So if you believe that Jesus was the focal point of the whole Bible, if you believe God that he was the promised Messiah, he was the righteous lamb who took the punishment that you deserved on the cross, that he defeated death and sin. When you believe that and you proclaim him as king, you will be saved and you will enter the kingdom of heaven. And for those of us who have entered into the kingdom of heaven, like, praise God. Like, let's just flip that message. You deserve the day of the Lord's judgment. God sends a promised king, a lamb who takes away the punishment, the sin of the world. His name is Jesus Christ. He is king. He died on the cross. He took your punishment. He defeated death and sin. He rose again, and with that comes immeasurable blessing and true greatness. Like, praise God if you are in the kingdom of heaven today. Like You've been called to the highest rank possible to proclaim Jesus Christ as the king and come what may, though the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Who cares? 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Let's think about that as uh, I bow in prayer. I'm actually... um, I'm actually going to pray through Ephesians 1, 16 through 23 right now. Um, So you can turn and follow along if if you want. I just thought God's words are better than mine. Um, And so I'm, I'm just going to pray these as we close our time. Please bow your heads. Heavenly Father, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, please give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. May the eyes of our hearts be enlightened that we may know what is the hope to which you have called us. What are the riches of Jesus' glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe according to the working of your great might that you worked in Christ when you raised him from the dead and seated him at your right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. God, you put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And we say this, we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.